0: This is Jen, and you're listening to Paradox, a Mage the Ascension podcast. These bite-sized episodes are designed to get you up to speed and comfortable with Mage the Ascension rules and concepts. We read the books so you don't have to, though we do recommend it. Without further ado, welcome to Paradox. Welcome back to Episode 4, A Wizard's Guide to Stat Building, Part 2, where we take a closer look at the rest of a Mage the Ascension character sheet. Last time, we talked about nature and demeanor, attributes and abilities, but before I start talking about spheres and other advantages, I wanted to talk a little bit more about abilities and specialties. So I talked about specialties back in episode 2 when discussing dice rolling and exploding 10s. However, one thing to note about how you get specialties is that you either get them when you reach 4 dots in an attribute, ability, or sphere, or you take them for very particular abilities that require it when you first purchase the ability. Like in the case of crafts or science. As mentioned, you still don't get to explode 10s until you reach 4 dots, and that specialty applies to the roll, but it is something you would have chosen early on. Rules is written, in order to get more specialties in any ability, you would have to buy that ability back up to four dots with the new specialty. However, there is an optional rule called the well-trained craftsman rule, where you can simply buy new specialties for the various abilities that you want to specialize in. So you could have medicine specialties in both surgery and first aid, or firearm specialties in both handguns and rifles, without having to repurchase four dots of the associated ability. Now, I know previously I mentioned that at the character creation stage, you can only buy up to level three in your abilities. However, there is an additional step at the end of character creation where you spend what are known as freebie points. And these freebie points allow you to purchase anything else that you want on your character sheet after you spend all of your original dots. But it includes things like buying abilities past the third level or buying attributes again, or your willpower or your erite or spheres. So while you have these limited points that you're able to put onto your character sheet originally, you do have a cache of these freebie points to spend at the end, which can be augmented or depleted by merits and flaws, which is another thing that I will talk about in this episode. Of course, after all of this, your storyteller may give you some starting XP or you may find that you're gaining a bunch of XP in your games and you can, of course, spend that on whatever you might wish. The cost for everything is greater with experience than with freebie points, but that's why you have a limited number of freebie points. I'm going to leave spheres until last, but the section under spheres on the character sheet is collectively referred to as advantages. First, erate Your Ereté, or your enlightenment if you're a technocrat, is your level of magical ability. You start play with one dot and during character creation have the option of purchasing up to three dots with freebie points. Doing so uses most of your freebie points, but allows you to buy your spheres up to level three. If you follow the exact steps of character creation, technically you'd end up buying your Ereté level up after you've already spent your sphere dots, so you wouldn't necessarily get higher than a level one sphere. But your ST will likely allow you to spend your sphere dots after your freebies. Or maybe they won't, but either way, your storyteller will have the final call on that. Most of the time, it doesn't matter what order you spend everything in, but check with your ST as they may have different ideas. In most of the games I've played in, however, it is common to start with at least one sphere at level 3, knowing you're going to buy your Ereté to 3 regardless. That being said, it can be extremely fun to play someone with a lower power level and only level 1 or 2 spheres, and then to sink all of your freebies and XP into abilities and attributes, or backgrounds, which we'll talk about. Or, even better, raise your error to 3, but only have level 1 and 2 spheres, meaning you'll be rolling 3 dice and likely having very low difficulties on your rolls, and thus a greater chance for success. Backgrounds are another of these advantages. They represent aspects of your life not covered in other areas, which doesn't really explain much, but bear with me. First, there are more external backgrounds. These are things like allies or people who will do you big favors. Contacts, people who will find information for you but aren't as reliable or necessarily as helpful as allies. Influence, the ability to command attention and respect within aspects of the non-magical world or resources or how much cash flow you have. There are also more internal backgrounds, such as Avatar or Genius, your specific magical soul chunk and how powerful this is. We'll come back to this in a moment. Arcane, which is cloaking in the technocracy. And this is the trait of having reality bend to hide you by misplacing records, blurring you on cameras, or making people forget you were there. And then there's dream or hypercram, or the ability to access information that you have not personally studied or practiced. So in other words, you can gain temporary dots in an ability you didn't previously possess in order to solve some problem, or suddenly possess more dots than usual in an ability you do possess up to your dream rating. It doesn't add to your ability dots. There are, of course, other examples in both of those categories, but there are a lot of backgrounds and not a ton of time to go through all of them. And of course, if you're a technocrat, or perhaps were a technocrat, you may take the enhancement background for cybernetic equipment or requisitions to access the vast armory of the technocracy's Q division. If you're a tradition mage or a member of the disparate alliance, you may take familiar instead to gain effectively a witch's familiar, or wonder to gain access to a device of varying magical ability and power. There are so many options that it would take a long time to describe them all, but you have seven dots to spend here, and you can pool backgrounds with other players to gain access to something bigger, such as a large library or something else they wouldn't be able to access on their own. This can, at the storyteller's discretion, take a background above five dots. Avatar, or genius, is a particularly important background trait as it defines your mage's ability to access quintessence, the very essence of magic. Your dots and avatar directly correlate to how much quintessence you start with and how much quintessence you can absorb or spend to assist in your magic, as well as the maximum amount you can store and hang on to. It can be an interesting choice to play a mage with no avatar rating, but make sure it's a choice you make and not a mistake. In groups I've played with we usually have a house rule where everyone starts with a free dot of avatar unless they wish to give it up, but they don't get an extra freebie for doing so. For reference, my character Josephine has 5 dots of avatar, which means she can spend or absorb up to 5 points of quintessence in a single turn, which can reduce the difficulty of a single use of magic by 5, provided that doesn't take it below the minimum difficulty of 3, and that she has that much quintessence to spend. Speaking of quintessence, it's time to look at the fancy quintessence paradox wheel at the bottom of the page. This is where you record all of your points of quintessence as well as the paradox you take for doing magic. We'll be covering Paradox more in depth in a later episode, but for now this is where you record it. Quintessence, often shortened to Quint, is the energy that fuels all of creation. Mages can harness and use it in their magical workings, particularly with the use of the Prime Sphere. It can only be seen either by using Prime 1 or by finding it in its physical form called Tass, which can be virtually anything that Quintessence has naturally infused into. When recording quintessence, you start at the small mark on the left-hand side and record in the boxes moving in a clockwise direction up and to the right. When your storyteller tells you to take points of paradox, you record in a counterclockwise direction or down and to the right. If your paradox and your quintessence ever meet, your paradox points overtake your quintessence ones and effectively wipe them from your sheet until your paradox clears and you regain that quintessence. Some people may actually have permanent points of paradox which are never removed from that wheel. Your health chart is another important part of the sheet as it's where you record whatever damage your character may take. There are three levels of damage you may record. Bashing damage generally comes from blunt force trauma, fists, clubs, headaches, etc. You indicate this with a single slash line in the health box. Lethal is, well, more lethal. If you're familiar with D&D, it would be similar to piercing or slashing damage and it's what we'd consider deadly trauma from things like knives, swords, guns, etc. You indicate this with an X in the health box. Aggravated damage, or ag, is generally caused by particularly awful ways to die, such as fire, acid, specific magical effects, or specific abilities from other supernatural creatures. You indicate this with an asterisk, or a star, in the health box. If you're looking at a sheet, you'll see that next to certain levels are numbers such as minus 1, minus 2, or minus 5. These are wound penalties, as in, when your character gets incredibly hurt, it is harder to do things. Go figure. You take the penalty for the line currently marked by damage. So if you have three bashing damage, three boxes with a single slash in each, you'd be at the injured level and are at a minus one penalty. So what does that really mean? It means you take one die out of your dice pool and roll the reduced pool. And you do that for everything except for avatar, arate, or soak rolls. Soak rolls being about soaking damage, which is something you're able to do to reduce how much damage you take. And we'll cover that once we get to a more in-depth combat section. At minus one, this may not be much of an issue. But getting down to minus five at crippled, you'll find that you are, yes, pretty much crippled in everything you try to do. Wound penalties also affect how fast you're able to move. At the bottom of the health chart is the last box, incapacitated. But what this actually means differs depending on what damage you're recording there. If your entire health chart is filled with bashing damage, incapacitated means you're basically unconscious, you can continue to try and soak incoming bashing damage, but it will start to accumulate as lethal damage. If your chart is filled with lethal damage, you're bleeding out and will be dead soon unless someone intervenes. Untreated lethal damage gets one point worse each day that it's untreated, and once you go below incapacitated, you are officially dead. A chart filled to incapacitated with egg damage is similar to lethal except the scars are much worse and you will probably also die soon. This is similar to something like third degree burns on 90% of your body. It's an absolute miracle you're alive and you probably wish you weren't. Again, once you take any more damage at that point, you will die. You can record damage in whatever way makes sense to you, but I use the following method. Higher intensity damage pushes lower intensity damage down the chart. Let me explain. Say you take three bashing. You record three slashes in the following three boxes, bruised, hurt, and injured. The next round, you take two lethal. I would start at the top and turn the first two boxes, bruised and hurt, into lethal Xs, then record two bashing down into wounded and mauled. Finally, you take a point of aggravated damage. Again, I would turn the bruised box into an asterisk or star, just add a third line up and down mostly to represent the ag. Then you record the injured box which was bashing now as lethal and you record a bashing damage into crippled this would mean your turret would look like asterisk x x slash 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 and you would be having a bad day willpower is an important trait for mages it's an important trait for anyone really but for mages it represents the strength of the will that they are working upon reality when they do magic in mechanical terms, you can spend temporary points of willpower to gain certain benefits, such as an automatic success on any role, or to hold back paradox until the end of a scene, though it may continue to add up. Or to ignore those wound penalties I was just talking about. Or several other things. You regain willpower by your character getting a night's rest, or by acting your character's nature, or in certain points in the game as determined by your storyteller. There is a box to record the experience you gain. Some people benefit from a more external experience chart where you can record purchases as well as when you gain XP, but honestly, that's up to you, as long as you're recording it somewhere so you can keep track from game to game. There is a section on the sheet for other traits, which can be used for a few things. Additional backgrounds, resonance or synergy traits if your game is using them, or merits and flaws if you're not using the four-page sheet. Basically, it's extra space if you need it. The four-page sheets available online in places like Mr. Gone's Character Sheets, a staple in the world of character sheets, basically provides significantly more space to record things like your merits and flaws, your items, the way you do magic, combat stats, your history, and even a place to put a character sketch should you wish to. They're quite extensive and very good, though I usually only use the second page for its merits and flaws section and don't bother with the others. You don't need the full four-page document if you use the other traits section for merits and flaws, or even just write them in a separate document or on the back of the sheet if you print it off. There is no right way to record the details so long as they're recorded. Merits and flaws, as I was just discussing, are an optional rule for STs to implement should they wish. I am a big fan, both from a player and storyteller point of view, because it provides built-in story points for the storyteller to lean on, and can provide both great benefits to players, or fun ways to roleplay. The general rule is that players may take however many merits they can afford, but only a maximum of 7 points of flaws. Alternatively, a player could take 1 or 2 flaws regardless of point value, but they are limited to only those flaws. Games I play in usually limit to 7 points of each, unless the player provides a good explanation, but your storyteller may decide differently. The limit on flaws is a good idea to keep people from building an absolutely unplayable character in order to get a ridiculous number of freebie points. There is everything from minor real-world things like visual impairment that can be fixed with glasses and fluency in another language to giant supernatural ones like True Faith or Nine Lives. You can also take something like dual affiliation which was previously known as dual traditions before they rewrote it to include technocratic conventions and directly stated you could use it to cross from the technocracy to the traditions or disparate alliance and vice versa the book of secrets lists significantly more merits and flaws than the core book and individual tradition and convention books from the non-m20 editions may include additional ones though m20 has done a pretty good job of consolidating and updating everything Josephine has the merits cat-like balance, which gives her a bonus to dexterity rules when trying to balance, manifest avatar, which means her avatar occasionally appears to her in the real world, and fluency in Latin. Her flaws include bad sight, technically a visual impairment, but it's easier to write bad sight. She also has overconfident, naive, and cultural other, which are minor one-point flaws. Cultural other could also be called mistreated minority and reflects prejudice within your society. Josephine has a very minor version of it because even though she's white, she's an oddly presenting female in the Victorian era, and something is off about her due to her basically being an alien and growing up in Horizon, which is a mage-built world off Earth, and she's unfamiliar with, and in a lot of cases, uncaring of Earth's social norms. People are slightly suspicious of her, and she may be harassed or detained more often than the other doves. She also has a 3-point rival who is yet to appear in our Victorian era games. You can buy off flaws with XP should your character evolve and improve beyond them, but be aware of what you're signing up for before choosing your flaws. Even better, talk your ideas out with your storyteller so you both know how severe a level 3 flaw will play out, and no one is blindsided or disappointed by what actually does occur. And Storytellers, use your player's flaws. I am the type of player who wants my flaws to come into play. Maybe not constantly as it depends on the level of the flaw, but I've played in too many games where flaws have absolutely never come up and it can be disappointing or even frustrating to have this aspect of your character ignored. Besides, flaws make for great jumping off points for plots and if you're ever stuck for something, just look at your PC's flaws and you might just come up with a brilliant idea. So please note, depending on your edition and even in the most recent M20 stuff, there are some merits and flaws that misrepresent real life issues. Personally, I'm not a fan of the ADHD listing as it does not represent my personal experience. There are also some occasionally problematic references to mental illnesses as derangements. They try to address the topic with some sensitivity in M20, but the authors are still only human and M20 is a vast improvement over the books from the 90s and early 2000s when they were still using racist stereotypes and certain mental illnesses like dissociative identity disorder known at the time as Multiple Personality Disorder, and Kleptomania, were treated as kooky quirks that your character could have, or that your character could be inflicted with through some supernatural ability, but are very real illnesses. Vampire the Masquerade, Another World of Darkness line, was especially egregious about this with Malkavians and Ravnos, among other issues, but mage didn't escape the mindset of the 90s either. My personal view is to take things with a grain of salt, and don't play caricatures of these very real illnesses. Or when it comes down to it, don't play caricatures of people in general. Mage isn't perfect, and I will never claim that it is, but the authors continue to try and improve where they can, and occasionally still miss the mark. Would it have been better to include a diversity, equity, and inclusion coordinator in the writing? Probably. And maybe they did, though it isn't stated as such in the credits, that I can see. But even people trained to look for these issues can have bias and miss different aspects. While the next several episodes are going to focus on magic and spheres in a significantly more in-depth way, and even though spheres were briefly mentioned in episode 1, I wanted to give an overview of spheres here as well. Mostly in the context of the character sheet, but as magic and therefore spheres are both an important cornerstone of the game and an often confusing topic to those unfamiliar with mage, I feel like repetition would not necessarily go amiss here. First things first, for character sheet and mechanics purposes you start the game with 6 dots in spheres. You can only buy up to your error rating in any single sphere, and you may spend freebie points to buy additional dots in spheres if you have enough. So keep in mind that you have 15 freebie points to start, plus whatever points you gain from flaws, minus any points spent on merits. This gives you an absolute maximum of 22 freebie points. And of course a minimum of zero if you've spent all of them on merits. The freebie cost chart is on page 253 of the M20 core. Ereté 3 costs 4 per dot for a total of 8, and spheres are 7 per dot. But unlike the experience chart, which is on the same page, the cost is not dependent on the level you're buying. You automatically put one of those dots into your affinity sphere. When I get to talking about the various traditions and technocratic conventions, this will be included, but each one has an option or two for their affinity sphere. This is the sphere you are generally most proficient with, and it costs fewer XP to improve later. For Josephine, as an Order of Hermes mage, she took forces. In older editions, it was occasionally listed that certain houses could choose different affinity spheres, but M20 only lists forces as their primary affinity. Other traditions, like the euthanachos or Chakravanti, may have several spheres to choose from equally, such as entropy, life, or spirit, and it's up to the player to decide what they want the character to focus on. Beyond that, what do spheres actually do? The vague answer, and what I'm hoping to dig into more next time, is whatever your creativity can come up with. Within certain limits, of course. In general, you have five levels of each sphere unless you're playing or involving archmages in your campaign, which is an entirely different ball game that we do not have time to go over right now. Level one of any sphere generally involves or adds to your senses. For a very basic example, this may mean being able to see in absolute darkness or sensing how many living bodies are around you. These are perception-based abilities, and while there are mechanics for extending your senses either beyond their normal limits or to additional people, For the most part this affects only your own senses. Level 2 is where your character begins to understand more about the magic they are wielding and they are able to manipulate it more. This can mean creating shields to protect against certain kinds of magic such as a mind shield to keep other supernatural creatures from invading your mind or manipulating you mentally. This can also mean affecting the world around your character in small ways like altering basic probability with Entropy 2, or doing bigger things with your perceptions, such as looking through time or into the spirit world. Level 3 is about control. The focus is still on the individual, but the changes they can achieve are much more noticeable. Spheres generally start inflicting damage at this point, such as with life or mind 3 healing or inflicting damage to the body or mind, respectively. Other spheres start affecting major changes with concepts that already exist in the world, For example, changing one type of matter into another temporarily, or simply changing it into another state, like turning a solid metal into a gaseous form. Level 4 is where reality begins to be stretched to its limits. The mage has gained a full command of the sphere and a solid understanding of the metaphysics behind their magic. They can now open portals to transport people to other parts of the world or beyond, or change weather patterns, or shapeshift into similarly shaped creatures. Or simply grow natural weaponry or armor on their own body. Level 5 is mastery of a sphere. Godlike and reality breaking changes are possible, though not without consequences. Your mage could completely rewrite someone's memories with Mind 5. Prime 5 would let your mage completely nullify paradoxical consequences, and Time 5 would grant your mage the ability to exist beyond time entirely, for the small price of potentially becoming forever lost to history. The higher level of a sphere you use, the greater the potential consequences. In other words, paradox. Again, paradox is a bigger topic overall that will be addressed later, but the basic premise is that reality operates under a general consensus. Humanity as a whole has agreed, for the most part, about how the world works and what sorts of things are possible. When mages challenge that agreement by turning off gravity or shape-shifting into a moose, reality acts like a giant rubber band. If you put enough pressure to push it out of alignment and allow your magic through, it will snap back eventually, and knock you off your high horse. This is why some of the main themes of Mage of the Ascension are hubris, or pride, or arrogance. I've mentioned several of the spheres of magic here, but to go over them officially, here's the rundown. Correspondence. This is the magic of spatial relations, connections, and dimension. With this sphere, you can do everything from know the exact layout of a room to scrying on other locations, to teleportation. It's a great sphere to have in conjunction with other spheres, so you can extend those abilities beyond your immediate perceptions. Entropy is an often misunderstood sphere. This is the sphere of fate, decay, and chaos. It's about the degradation of matter into its ultimate inert form. It's about uncertainty, chaos, and the inevitable end of things. Its direct translation from Greek means change within a closed system. And what is death, if not change? This is the sphere, rather than spirit, that allows mages to connect with ghosts. But it also allows a mage to find flaws, discover lies, see and alter the probability of something happening, cheat at gambling, create binding oaths, or degrade patterns of thought. It's an incredibly versatile sphere, but is often underutilized and often misunderstood. Forces is the magic of, well, forces. Unlike entropy, which has several hidden meanings, forces is basically what it says on the tin. The trick here is knowing what counts as a force. Kinetic energy? Yes. Also potential energy. Also ultraviolet, or infrared, or gravity, or various forms of weather, or electricity, or simple physics. Again, it is a very versatile sphere if you broaden your understanding of what could be considered a force. Josephine sticks with fire because it's familiar to her and comfortable, but at her level she could just as easily pull a lightning bolt from an incoming storm. Life covers all life, everything from insects to humans and even things like single cell organisms. If it can be considered life, it falls under this sphere. Healing falls here, as well as causing damage by directly affecting a person. Shapeshifting and other transformation abilities are available at higher levels, as well as life extension abilities. Matter. Everything that isn't life and isn't a general concept is probably matter. Obviously, there may be exceptions, but it's a good rule of thumb. Corpses are matter, which means vampires are technically matter. Matter deals with substances that possess no active agency of their own, which does seem to rule vampires out, except you'd be targeting their corpse, not the supernatural entity that animates it. Both life and matter work incredibly well when combined with other spheres. Mind involves everything related to consciousness like communication, ideas, thoughts, literally being awake or asleep, psychic combat, or astral projection and lucid dreaming. Mind mages can read thoughts and protect themselves and others from supernatural powers that alter memories or unnaturally charm someone. Alternatively, they can do those things to others. Telepathy is also possible, or fabricating entire consciousnesses from nothing. Prime is the magic of quintessence. The magic of the essence of everything it's about manipulating and controlling the raw energy of creation itself you can sense those energies and pull them out of people or objects or put them into people or objects usually with life sphere but you can cancel other mages work or boost your own magic you can nullify paradox or make changes from other spheres permanent To create something out of nothing, you need the essence of creation, and that's where the prime sphere comes in. Spirit magic is about the spaces beyond our current world. Much like entropy can be used to speak to and interact with ghosts in the underworld, spirit magic can be used to interact with the variety of spirits that exist, or to look across the veil between our world and the spirit world, or at higher levels to cross over to the spirit world itself, mend the veil between worlds, or destroy a mage's avatar, which is also known as gogol, and is a punishment used by some mages when necessary. Time magic is, of course, about seeing and manipulating temporal energies. This involves simple acts of time manipulation such as hitting all green traffic lights on your way to work, which you can also do with entropy, or knowing exactly what time it is when asked without checking a watch knowing the flow of time as it moves through a combat, or looking backwards or forwards through time, even potentially reversing time, or taking oneself out of the flow of time altogether. As mentioned, this can lead to pretty disastrous consequences if used incorrectly or without thought. To finish out this overview, there are a couple of alternative spheres that mostly the technocracy uses. There are a couple of exceptions, though. Instead of correspondence, a technology inclined mage or technocrat may prefer to use data. It works in effectively the same way, but the methodology and thought process behind it is different. Whereas correspondence is about more physical or metaphysical connections between people and spaces, or one space and another space, data is about having points of data to manipulate and influence and connect people, things, or spaces. Generally speaking, correspondence can be used off the grid. While data cannot realistically do the same, because without access to data, it follows that it is likely impossible to utilize said data for your connections. However, as always, it is the storyteller's call. Another option for correspondence, which is a very odd one, because this option only exists in the revised Void Engineer Convention book. It is not mentioned anywhere else and they didn't bring it over to M20. However, if you are looking at running a game in space or a very void engineer focused game, it could be an option not necessarily to take wholesale, but to take pieces of, to take the chart from. And that's called void correspondence. And the general idea of void correspondence is that it allows void engineers to detect objects at interplanetary scales at the cost of being less effective for nearby objects. So it's very much related to the type of correspondence you might need to use in space where there's a significant amount of distance between all of the individual points that you might be relating to for correspondence effects. Dimensional science is the technocratic alternative to spirit magic. Basically, instead of believing in the mystical, superstitious, and obviously imaginary spirit world, dimensional science is about Everett volumes and alternate dimensions and subdimensions. However, other than that difference in ideology, it works very similarly to the spirit sphere. Dimensional science is theoretically confined to the void engineers, but Mostly that's because the void engineers are the ones who have a stranglehold on the space race, and they are the ones with all the technology and the spaceships to actually experience subdimensions and alternative dimensions, unlike any other convention. So according to the books, dimensional science is a void engineer specific sphere, much like primal utility, which is for the syndicate. However, I believe that as a storyteller, if there is an appropriate reasoning behind it, then a different convention could have dots in dimensional science. It's just rare. Part of that is because if they don't have access to that, they probably aren't going to be using spirit magic because spirit magic is insane in their, in their worldview. Therefore, if they don't have access to the dimensional science sphere, they only have access to eight spheres. And that feels a little, not necessarily unfair to me as a storyteller, but definitely a little more lopsided in terms of what mages and technocrats can access. Additionally, one of the aspects of dimensional science is this idea of Everett volumes. And an Everett volume is an alternate dimension of every other space that's the basic gist of it. It's a concept developed by the void engineers to understand these weird and unusual places that shouldn't exist. Finally, there is an alternative version of Prime called Primal Utility, but this is mostly used by the technocratic convention called the Syndicate because it revolves around the idea that money makes the world go round rather than quintessence. In fact, to paraphrase the older editions, Primal utility has not been adopted as widely as either dimensional science or data. Holding a torch for socialism, the NWO issues propaganda against naive theories of prime. Pure scientists in Iteration X and the Void engineers don't care for this philosophy over reality model either, even if the math works. Some syndicate operatives try to spread the word, but the convention doesn't care about their success much. The masses already believe, and besides, special access to primal utility represents a competitive edge. That covers the rest of the character sheet, as well as a very brief overview of the nine spheres, plus of course the alternative versions. Join me next time as I bring Kelly back in order to dive further into the concept of magic and how to use it in the world of darkness. You've been listening to Paradox, a Mage the Ascension podcast, and you can find us wherever you can find podcasts. If actual plays are up your alley, check out Dork Tales on twitch.tv dorktales, or youtube.com dorktales, or find us on the Dork Tales Discord server. We are currently streaming a Mage the Victorian Era game on Saturdays, our Patreon subscribers have early access to a Technocracy zero-sum game, which I run on the first Sunday of the month, but which will be premiering on YouTube for the general public soon. And we have several mage one-shots and a short-run chronicle called Breaking Tradition on YouTube, plus all of our other amazing content. Thanks for listening, and remember to always keep your magic coincidental, unless it's fireball.